Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the book of John. And today we're going to look at a passage concerning a story about a woman caught in adultery and then the Pharisees who were caught as well. So if you will, John chapter 8 is the text for our message today. John chapter 8. One of the important announcements I forgot to make was if you are a guest here today, there's a little tear-off part on your uh, bulletin. If you will, take the time to put some information on there about yourself. Uh, there's a little box right there at that exit, if you'll put it in that box, or back here on the table if you're exiting that way. Uh, we'd like to have a record of your attendance today and would like to let you know more about the ministries of our church here. So it's good to see all of you out, out today at the house of the Lord. It is a beautiful day, as Tommy said. Thank you, Tommy. Yeah, a lot of good frost was on the ground early this morning, and, uh, but it's going to be up to 60 degrees today. Only in Kentucky can it be like that, I think. The passage we're reading today is a story that's really self-contained. But the writers of the Gospel of John, and those who edited it even later after John, inserted it here in a passage of Scripture between two occasions that are happening at the same time in chapter 7 and chapter 8, and that is the Festival of Booths. And the, the festival, I can hardly say it, the Festival of Booths, B-O-O-T-H-S. And if you will, think about uh, this festival. This is one of the three major festivals that uh, the Jewish people were instructed, commanded of God in, in Exodus and Le Le Leviticus that they were to make this pilgrimage to Jerusalem no matter how far away you live and be there for this, this uh, festival. It's a festival that lasted from Friday to Friday. And uh, during this time, there would be a lot of sacrifices made and offerings given as well because think of it as Thanksgiving all week long. And it was a festival of thanksgiving for the harvest. But as a thanksgiving for the harvest, it was connected also mainly to God's provision during a time of wilderness wandering. Because when the people of God left Egypt to go to the promised land, God provided for them in the wilderness for 40 years. In the daytime, he led them by a pillar of cloud, and at night he led them how? By a fire. And so at the Festival of Booths, there are many, many lamps that, that are lit. Uh, in the wilderness, uh, how did God provide for his people? Well, he gave them manna to eat, and he gave them water out of rocks. And so there was a lot of water and libation going on. Uh, because there were so many sacrifices that were being offered and the, the, the uh, custom of cleansing one's hands with water was so very much a part of this festival. And these lights, that, these lamps that were lit up, uh, uh, lighted rather, uh, at the temple in uh, Jer Jerusalem. I mean, it, the, the, on a hill there at the temple, it was lit up literally 24 hours a day uh, for these eight days. And during this time of Festival of Booths, uh, the Pharisees and Jesus have a head-on collision because Jesus has come to the festival, and when they're washing their hands every day to participate in the offering and to be sure that they're cleansed, Jesus is saying in chapter 7, Come to me, I'm the living water. I will give you water. And that's in the end of chapter 7. 
And then in chapter 8, after this story is told by John, Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. So I'm the living water, and I'm the light of the world. And in between these two teachings of Jesus in John 7 and John 8, verse 12, there is this kind of independent story that's been inserted here. And it's about the Pharisees who are at this occasion. I mean, if they're collecting an offering every day, the pastor's going to be there, right? And the Pharisees are going to be there because they are leading in the temple worship. Uh, they are receiving these tithes and these offerings. And, uh, I mean, it's a collection day. And you don't miss that day. Kind of like on Easter Sunday. I had a treasurer one time that called Easter Sunday Dollar Day. Because everybody that attended put one dollar in, in the offering plate. She called it Dollar Day. I mean, this went on for eight days. And so the Pharisees were there. And so was Jesus. And every time they would have this festival, he would say, I'm the light of the world. I'm the living water. And they listened to his teachings in the morning as he taught at the temple. And the Pharisees became jealous. They became outraged. Because instead of the crowds following them, they were beginning to listen to and follow Jesus Christ. So after a confrontation in Luke chapter, I mean, uh, John chapter 7, the Pharisees are saying to the officers of the temple, now you go out and you find Jesus and you bring him to us and, and we're going to take care of him. We're going to remove him. And really they were going to try to kill him. And so the officers go out. Later on in chapter 7, the officers came back to the Pharisees and they said, did you find Jesus? And these officers said, we never heard anybody teach like Jesus. They were just as entrapped by Jesus' teachings as, as the rest of the crowds. And that made the Pharisees even more angry. And so like anybody else that gets angry, they, they stomp and walk off. And that's where we pick up in chapter 8. Everyone went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. What's Jesus doing in the Mount of Olives? He's praying. He's talking to the Father. He's receiving instruction from his Father that he will give to the crowds when he teaches. So early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people were coming to him. Not the Pharisees, but Jesus. And he sat down and he began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees then brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, now you can imagine this crowd in the temple and, and uh, Jesus has been teaching and they interrupt Jesus' teaching and they bring this adulterous woman to them. She was caught, the Bible says, in the very act. We're going to talk about that. And then they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law of Moses, uh, it commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. What did he write? We can only speculate. We really don't know. But we're going to speculate a little bit today. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightens up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. 
And then he stoops down again. And he began to write on the ground. And when the Pharisees heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the elders. And he was left alone with the woman, where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No, what? Lord. No, Lord. What did the rabbis call Jesus? What did the Pharisees call Jesus? Teacher, rabbi. But she called him what? Lord. That is significant. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. Now today, I want us to talk about three characters in this story. There are really four characters in the story. One's the crowd. But we're going to talk about the Pharisees, and then we're going to talk about the woman, and then we're going to talk about Jesus. Let's talk about these Pharisees. I've introduced this passage by talking about the festival of booths. At this time, as Jesus is gaining a lot of attention, the Pharisees are losing attention. Their coffers are losing attention as well. So they're trying to trap Jesus in order to get rid of him. You see, in this festival of booths and the lights that are shining, these, these uh, gas lights, not gas lights, but uh, these lights that are lit by oil are lighting, are, have, they've lit up j- j- all of the temple grounds around uh, j- Jerusalem. Jesus is bringing the light of, of the gospel to these people, and the Pharisees are angry about it. They're upset, and they don't like it because Jesus is getting all the attention. He's taking away their power, and they want to get rid of him because the Pharisees rule the day, and men rule the day too. And as you read this passage of Scripture where Jesus calls her woman, uh, that was highly irregular because anyone who's clean should not even address women. So the setting is the Festival of Booths. But the stones that the Pharisees are carrying are directed toward the guilty one. The Pharisees thought they had Jesus with this quiz. What should we do with this woman, Jesus? The law of Moses said we need to stone her. And they had these rocks in their hands ready to stone her. But they're setting Jesus up with a kind of mock trial. And they're setting up a double standard. Jesus, what do we do? The law of Moses said we are to stone her. What should we do with our stones? Had Jesus said stone her, he would have offended the law of Rome because they did not have the power to execute someone. So they would turn Jesus into Pilate and accuse him of murder. If Jesus said let her go, he would have broken the law of Moses. So how does Jesus answer this double-bind investigation and accusation? He kneels to the ground. And everybody's listening for how Jesus is going to answer these Pharisees. This I call a holy pause. 
The Pharisees are waiting for an answer. The crowd is waiting for an answer. And Jesus is quiet on the ground. Any of you ever listened to Paul Harvey? Good day. <laughs> he was the king of pause to intensify the moment, to gain your attention. And I believe Jesus was intensifying the moment for the lesson he is about to give here about grace. And while he said nothing, he wrote on the ground. We're not sure what he wrote. But I want to speculate a little bit and say that he might have written down the sins of the Pharisees because that's when they began to leave one by one. Which of the Pharisees left first? If that's true, which of the Pharisees left first? The older ones. Because they had more sins that Jesus listed here. And then the younger ones left as well. They were unrepentant. They wanted to get away from the reaction of Jesus. But anyway, as he writes on the ground, he stands up. And when he stands up, the Pharisees begin to walk away because he might have listed their sins. There's a tradition here that he wrote their sins. But there's also a tradition that he just doodled. For a judge, when uh, sitting at the court waiting for all these arguments, how many of you saw on uh, either the newspaper or TV about a judge that was disbarred because she was texting on her cell phone while the lawyers gave their arguments? That might have been what Jesus was doing, just doodling on the ground. But I think he was intensifying the moment so that they would understand something about grace. So we have these Pharisees. And they're motivated with self-righteousness. They're motivated with uh, anger and bitterness. And they're trying to entrap Jesus. But instead of entrapping Jesus, they found their neck in the noose. And so they ran away. Second character in this story we want to look at briefly is this woman. You know, they caught her in adultery. That word, caught in adultery, uh, is kind of like the word caught red-handed. Caught red-handed comes from a Latin phrase, in flagretto delicto. It means being caught red-handed. You ever been caught red-handed doing something wrong? Nobody? I don't see any amens. I don't, no confessions here today. I got caught red-handed one time. I was a college student. I was working in the biology building. My job was to open the building at 6 at night and close at 9 at night. And I did this month after month after month, and I got bored one time. Some of my friends came up in a car, and they said, why don't you go with us? We'll hang out for a while, and then you come back at 9 o'clock. I was supposed to stay in the building, but I didn't stay in the building. And at 9 o'clock when I drove by, the graduate student that was in charge of all the other graduate students doing their, um, um, their, um, their thing at night, st studying their experiments, he caught me red-handed. And the next morning I had to report to the dean and explain myself. I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story. It wasn't funny. <laughs> it was serious. almost lost my job. It's no fun being caught red-handed. Who is this woman? She perhaps is betrothed to a man and having relations with another guy. That would be considered adultery. 
If you were engaged in the Bible times, you were betrothed to each other. You were to remain uh, devoted and pure until you were married. She might have been a woman who made her living doing this. Because at festivals, a lot of hanky-panky goes on. But whatever it was, she was caught red-handed. And they heard her in to this crowd of people in the Jerusalem temple. And there she was, naked, afraid, betrayed, bitter, and ashamed. I know what you're thinking. Where was the man? What did they do with the man? Well, they could care less about the guy. They were trying to entrap Jesus, and they were using this woman. And while this woman was of no value to the Pharisees except for their self-righteous purposes, she was of ultimate value to Jesus Christ. I wonder how she felt when she stood before the Lord as he was riding on the ground. I know she felt naked. I know she felt ashamed. I'm sure she felt broken. I'm sure she felt betrayed. She might have been set up by the Pharisees. She was certainly, and hear this, because this is happening in our day like no other time. She was certainly abused by powerful religious men. Well, which one are you and I like? Are we like the Pharisee? Or do we have more in common with this woman? We all stand before Jesus Christ, who alone has the authority to judge us. We too stand before him naked and ashamed because we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Psalm 51, David repents before God. He not only committed adultery, he committed murder. And he, when he came before the Lord, he knelt and he prayed, Lord, in chapter 51, verse 4, before you and you alone have I sinned. He sinned against um, uh, Bathsheba's husband. He sinned against Israel. He sinned against God. But when you stand before God, it's between you and him. Holy God and unholy me. And David confessed and said, Before you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned. Are we the Pharisee today? Or are we the broken woman? If you're the broken woman and you may have more in common with her, understand that Jesus will take your brokenness and turn it into blessing. He specializes in broken people. And that leads me to talk about the third person in this passage, Jesus himself. And I want to credit Dr. James Merritt, who used to preach it and be the pastor of Buck Grove Baptist Church. I heard a message by him on this uh, passage of Scripture, and I'm leaning heavily on his insight. Dr. James Merritt, pastor's now at uh, somewhere near Atlanta, Georgia. Jesus says to the woman, Where are they who condemn you? And there were none, because all these Pharisees had left. Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And obviously the answer is, no one, 
Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. From now on, go your way, sin no more. Three insights I want to give to you from this passage of Scripture about God's grace. As Jesus gives grace to those who desire His grace. Those who come to Him. Not those who run from Him, but those who come to Him. When we come to Jesus, He will give us abundant grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin, as we sang just earlier. As Jesus writes about their hypocrisy, their lying, their lust, these powerful religious men, Jesus built his case against them, but this woman has been caught red-handed. Have you ever been caught red-handed? You and I stand before God having been caught red-handed. Do we flee or do we confess? There's a story out there about the author of Sherlock Holmes, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And he loved to play, play practical jokes. And he sent an anonymous cable one day to 12 of highly respected friends saying, here's the cable, flee at once, your secret has been discovered. Within 24 hours, all 12 had left the country. We all have a secret. We all have something that we, you may call a skeleton in the closet or a sin that we don't want everybody else to know. Just like this woman and whoever this man was were hiding somewhere uh, involved in sin. We too like to cover up our sin. What's the di difference between Jesus and the Pharisees here? These Pharisees were in the rock-throwing business but Jesus is in the sin-forgiving business. This is the grace of God. This is what Jesus is all about. These Pharisees were in the guilt business. Jesus, she is guilty. She deserves to be stoned. But Jesus was in the grace business, having compassion for this woman and even calling her woman. And that word woman is not a harsh term like we might have today. It was a very tender, compassionate kind of, of term. See, when you come to Jesus with your guilt, he will meet you with his grace. When you come to Jesus with your faults, your failures, your foibles, he will meet you with forgiveness. Grace of, the grace of Christ is greater than all our sin. I've heard many, many people say, I've done too much for God to forgive me. But that's not true. The grace of God and the love of God is far above and beyond what we deserve or what we could ask. So when you come to Jesus, know this truth. He will give you abundant grace. He's ready to give it to this woman. And he asked her, does anyone condemn you? She says, no one. Lord. See, when you confess Jesus as Lord, he will remove your guilt. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. Neither do I condemn you, he said. Unlike the Pharisees, Jesus is not after what he can take from you. He's after what he can give to you. Perhaps no one else has ever 
addressed this woman as compassionately as Jesus had. It's interesting in this story that everyone who was unqualified to condemn her left the room, the Pharisees. The one who was most qualified, who understood her sin the most, did not condemn her. He stayed, and he gave her grace. There's no sin you've committed that makes God turn and run away and say, I can't believe you did that. There's no horrible thing you've been a part of that when you come to God with it and say, Lord, forgive me my sin, He's not going to shame you and blame you or betray you or abuse you. He offers His grace. I think one of the reasons that Jesus did not condemn the woman, in fact, there are two I'd like to mention here, is because of one, the cross. The cross, Jesus is saying to her, that because I'm going to be condemned for you, I'm not going to condemn you. And perhaps a second reason is that her confession was, no one, what? Lord. He was probably the first man to call her this woman, and she was the first person in John, hear this, to call him Lord. In this moment, this woman was not only forgiven, she also found faith. She doesn't call him rabbi like the Pharisees. She calls him Lord. One of the quotes Dr. Merritt says is, when you fess up to your mess up, Jesus will say, I do not condemn you. That's why he died on the cross. How often do you fess up to your mess up? Romans 8 says, Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So here's the point. If you reject Jesus like Pharisees, you will leave today in your guilt. Some of you are here and Jesus is wanting to come into your life and your heart. If you reject him, you will leave here today still with your guilt like the Pharisees. But if you confess Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, like this woman did, you will leave with his grace. Guilt or grace? Which will it be? The third thing I want you to take home today is, when you commit to Jesus, you will com- uh, he will commit you, let me start over, when you commit to Jesus, he will commit you to goodness. To goodness. Go your way, Jesus said, and what? Sin no more. God has called us to follow him to make Jesus not only our Savior, but also our Lord. And he's calling us, he is committing us, commissioning us, if you will, to goodness, to holiness. Think about it. These are the last words that the woman heard Jesus say. Go and sin no more. The woman's sin was forgiven, but it was not excused either. Pay close attention. He didn't just wink at her and say, well, girls will be girls and boys will be boys. No harm done, no foul. He didn't say that. Jesus was confronted in saying, neither do I condemn you. I don't condemn who you are. I do condemn your sin. 
go and sin no more. This story doesn't teach us that we can't call wrong wrong. We have the right and the responsibility to condemn what the Bible says is wrong. Condemning the sin is not the same as condemning the sinner. We're not to judge the thief, but we do judge his stealing. We're not to judge the liar, but we do judge his lying. We're not to judge the adulterer, we are to judge adultery and say that it's wrong. We're not to judge the homosexual, but we are to judge the homosexual behavior. In other words, Jesus said to this woman, and this is kind of a curry paraphrase, Woman, I don't condemn you, but don't continue in sin. Pastor Adrian Rogers used to say, God loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Jesus gives us grace because he wants to lead us to goodness. Goodness is the power and freedom not to do what I used to do and who I used to be. God forgives us of our sin so that we will not sin any longer. Psalm 41 says it this way, You have given us forgiveness so that we might learn to fear you. So as I conclude today, I want to ask a couple of questions. Number one, are you the Pharisee throwing rocks or ready to throw rocks? And why are you doing that? One of the reasons we throw rocks at our neighbors is so we will feel good about ourselves. One of the reasons we throw rocks at our neighbors is to conceal our own sin. Hear this. Life is a waste if you live it throwing rocks. The Bible says in Colossians, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Bible says, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Colossians 3.13. In Ephesians, Paul writes, become useful, helpful, and kind to one another, tenderhearted, compassionate, understanding, forgiving one another, as God in Christ also forgave you. Are you the Pharisee throwing rocks? Or do you identify more with the woman who stood before Jesus guilty? Maybe you're ashamed of something. Maybe you're bitter about something. Or maybe you're broken. Come to Jesus. He has more grace than you have sin. You, he has more grace than you have sin. If you think God cannot forgive you, you have denied the gospel. You have denied the death of Jesus and the atonement blood of Jesus Christ. Let it go and give it to Christ, who is the judge that forgives. And then go and do good. Be filled with the Spirit. I want to end with this great verse of Scripture. Romans chapter 8. Therefore now there is no condemnation for those 
who are in Christ Jesus. Go do good in your freedom. Will you bow your head with me? Father, we rejoice today that when we admit our sin and confess our sin to you, your grace is more sufficient than our sin. Lord, forgive us when we try to conceal our sin by throwing rocks at others, criticizing and critiquing others. Forgive us, Lord, from running away from your grace, thinking that we can do it all ourselves in our own strength and our own power. Give us, Lord, the mercy we need to live through this day and be more like Jesus and be a blessing to other people as well. And now, Father, during this invitation, I pray that some boy or girl, some man or woman will come forward during the invitation wanting to follow Jesus. I pray they'll come today and not leave here guilty, but leave here in grace and mercy and eternal life. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. And all who agreed said, Amen and Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Ekron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Ekron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Ekron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.